0: There is absolutely no darkness in him if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness my little children i am writing you these things so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous one This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, as we return to 1 John and we seek these pages for uh, your wisdom, as there are probably so many Christians in this room and across the world that, that at times have doubted their salvation, God, we return to this, this amazing book of the Bible that talks to us about assurance, that we, God, can have assurance in you, that Jesus Christ is sufficient. So, God, as someone wrestles with doubt, wrestles with difficulty, God, I pray that this message, that this book can speak life and truth and peace to them. God, I ask that you guide the words this morning, guide the, guide the hearts here. And if anyone doesn't know you, God, I pray that they meet the creator of the universe, the savior of their soul. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad to be here with you. Those verses that we read were uh, some of the memory verses from 1 John. Um, if you want those, you can contact our church office and we can send those to you. Uh, a good practice is to to just review those from time to time, to go through. I put a challenge before you all when I first came here as we started to go through 1 John, and that's where we'll, where we'll be this morning. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2. put a challenge before you that... If you'll just read through 1 John over and over as we go through this study, you'll know 1 John better than most Christians, just because a lot of times Christians don't read Scripture as we should. And we're going to have such a concentrated effort of going through 1 John. If you're new here, just to tell you a little bit about how I preach. I do topical messages from time to time. In fact, I just finished a a three-week series. But I like to go through a book of the Bible, Because I believe scripture is more important than anything I'll ever have to say. God's Word is just phenomenal. And what you'll hear this morning is a continuation of what God inspired John to write to us about eternal security. Now today's a little different though. Today what we're going to talk about is misplaced affection. So while John has given us all sorts of reasons to know that we're saved, this morning we're going to see maybe a sign that we're not a sign that something else has our heart. And so we're calling this misplaced affection and asking this question, should you follow your heart? That's kind of a, a common mantra these days of follow your heart or the heart wants what it wants. And we honestly covered a little bit of, about that last week when we covered a biblical description of love. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be on verse 15. And I'm going to just give us just a refresher. We've had so far at least seven reasons to know that we have eternal life. The first is the victorious work of Jesus, then walking in the light, and then God's promise to forgive in 1 John 1 9. The fourth is Jesus is our advocate, that Jesus is our atoning sacrifice, or that obedience produces inner assurance and an outer sign. And then the seventh is if we have love for our brothers and sisters contrasted with hate. And now we just kind of went through in 1st John chapter 2 verse 12 through 14 a summation of all the different principles where he says, little children, your sins have been forgiven. You've come to know him who's from the beginning. You've conquered the evil one. God's word remains in you. You're strong. You've conquered the evil one. So we pick up in chapter 2 and verse 15, and we're going to today look at an indication that maybe we don't know God. Now I'd like two different people groups to receive this this morning in a different way. The first one is a saved person, that maybe you have given your life to Christ, but maybe something else has your heart, that you've let let something else be a, a Lord of your life in a way. Now, there may be someone else here who you're not saved. You've never given your life to Christ, never given your heart to Christ. He is not the Lord of your life, and you know that. And you're okay with that. And in fact, you think that, that whatever else has your heart, that's what should have your heart. So today as we go through these passages, I hope those two people groups receive this message and, and hear that specifically to those perspectives. So 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 15 with me, please. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, it uses this word love multiple times just in that one verse, and it talks about the the subject or the object of our love, the object of our love being the world. And you may ask this question, could it really be lo- wrong to love anything? It, could, it, could it ever be wrong to love something? After all, last week I just covered in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 13 that we're to pursue love, that love is in action, that we're to go after love. We're to, we're to chase down this unconditional love. So could it ever be wrong to love something? Well, yes, we can love things that are bad for us. Uh, there's this political commentator named Dennis Prager, and this isn't an endorsement of everything he says. In fact, uh, he doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. So the most important thing that he could ever believe, he gets wrong. But he gets many things right, and here's one of them. He, he goes around and he talks to people about Intrinsic worth, things like that, and, and the difficulty of following our heart. And so he asked this question of people, and, and I'll, I'll just ask you to to put yourself in that shoe, uh, in, in their shoes. So let's say you have a pet, a dog, a cat, whatever it is, and let's say you just love that animal. If you if you don't like animals, then okay, pretend it's your favorite car, or whatever it is that you like. But he goes to people and says, if you had a dog, and it's your dog, and that dog was in a river drowning, and a stranger was in that same river drowning, and you only had time to save one of them, which would you choose? And we say stranger. A few of you said stranger. A couple of you are still contemplating. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Who is this? How uh, Have I seen that stranger say anything rude, anything like that? So the obvious answer is you save the human because they have more intrinsic worth. The difficulty is our heart may say otherwise, right? Something else may have our heart. My pet, it doesn't, but it may. My pet may have my heart. I may like my dog more than this stranger that I've never met, and I can only save one of them. Well, one of them is immediately impactful in my life, so which one would I save? And you'd be surprised by how many people say I would save my pet because I love my pet. My pet. But that's wrong, because a human is worth intrinsically more. A human has value. That a pet, while still valuable, God loves even his beast, Scripture says. It's not saying that a pet doesn't have any value. It's saying that there is a scale, and humans are at the top. We're the crown of his creation. And so even someone you don't know, that person has more value than a, hum- than a pet. So when this says don't, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can, we can know with a certainty. We can have this assurance that, that there are some things that are wrong to love. There are some things that we, they may not even be bad, but I may give them my heart instead of giving something else my heart. I may love something that I shouldn't love instead of something I should love. Now you may feel a little bit confused because John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now that's the same word. It talks about love, agape, and world as cosmos. And so using that sa- the two same Greek words, and you may say, well wait, if God loves the world, then shouldn't I love the world? Well, two distinctions. The first is even good things are not God. We're to love Him above all. Even good things are not God. We're to love Him above all. What that means is whatever other things in this world have at least a piece of your heart, God must supersede them. God must be above them. God, God must have your heart and Only to him is your true allegiance and then other things that are good you can like those god when he created the world He said it is good. So it's not saying that you can't like things It's not saying you can't care about things. I love my family, but god must be first because anything else is idolatry Anything else that takes place as the the primary care of my heart the primary allegiance of my heart Anything else is idolatry now that means parents as we sometimes chase things for our kids. That we say, well, I just want that. I, I just, this is so important in my family's life. If I, if I just send, send my kid to do this and my kid can chase after this extracurricular, maybe they'll become professionals at it or just experts at it, and, and, and I want them to have this, and I want them, and we put that above God. And I hope your kids are successful in all those things and whatever they pursue that's good but I hope they know the proper priority, that God is first. If your kid becomes a master of all sorts of things, but God is second, or maybe further down the line, we've failed. Your primary responsibility with your kids is not to get them a job when they grow up. It is to know that one day your child will stand before the creator of the universe. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe it's it's just... You have things in your life that you like more, you prefer more, and you've been investing in more. Anything that takes supremacy in our heart, even if it's good, is idolatry. So that's one distinction. The second distinction is this. When it says, do not love the world, it's not talking about good things, as we're going to see in a second. So the, the terrifying portion of verse 15 is the last part when it says, the love of the Father is not in him. So if I love the world, the things of the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he's making this distinction that if I come to God with an idolatrous heart, if I come to him with that, it's hard to say. I'm going to say idolatrous and adulterous. Try to conflate those. That'll be fun. If you come to him with that kind of heart, if that's how you're standing before a holy God, this says, the love of the Father is not in you. So what I want to begin with as we see that giving the world your heart is idolatry. That's the first. I didn't put it in your notes, but that's that's kind of the, the launch pad for this. Giving the world your heart is idolatry. A- as we begin to, to break down these next two verses, I want us to start from this launch pad. That, that this is an assessment of us. That you sitting there in your chair today may have things in your life that you've either made priority for you or for your family or someone in your life that you've said, I'm going to put a priority above God. And the warning here is the love of the Father is not in him. If I have an idolatrous heart, if that's how I come to God, then I ought to be warned. You see, as we go through 1 John, we're going to hear all sorts of things that help us have just fantastic assurance. But here's an opposite side that we ought to think of. If I'm in trouble, I want assurance of that too. I want to know that I'm in trouble. If you've been set on fire and you have no idea, the thing you need to know about is that you are on fire. If something else has your heart, if you are in bad standing with the God of the universe, you need to know that just as much as someone who needs to know when they're in good standing. So let's look now at verse 16, and let's see why else. So we have that giving the world your heart is idolatry, but why else is loving the world bad for you? We're going to look at two reasons why loving the world is bad for you, not just that it's idolatry, the the church answer, answer, but why it's bad for you. So look at verse 16 with me, please. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession, and that that word, possession, the Greek word bios, so like biology, it's life. So, pride in one's life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I uh, there was this time before GPS was very good. I wonder if you remember those days when um, you, you you could even buy a separate GPS at one time. I don't know if they still sell those, but um, when it was it was really kind of experimental. That if you went on the road outside of, of a really populated area, you might have been in a little danger. It may not work out well for you. Um, I, I think, I don't remember most of the story, I only remember one part of it. So uh, I think we were in northern Arkansas, and there was not a lot of population there. And my wife and I were traveling up from something, I don't remember, probably traveling back to St. Louis. Um, and so we're, we're making this trip, and what's interesting about computers, things like that, is when they're on, it's, I mean, it's binary. It's on or off. And so when they're working, there's every confidence in the world in a computer, right? They don't have, they don't have characteristics, but when a computer's working, it's like, oh yeah, take this road, take this road. And then all of a sudden, you look at your GPS, and you see your little dot, and I'm pretty sure it was a dot back then. It wasn't like an arrow. I think it was a dot. And all of a sudden, my dot is in the middle of a grassy field, and I'm just like, what do we do? I have no idea how to get back to wherever I was going at the time. I'm in northern Arkansas. I'm like, I guess we just live here now. This, <laughs> this, this is where we're going don't, I don't to stay. I don't know how to get somewhere else. Our trust was misplaced. What if the things we trust to find happiness are actually leading us astray? Like a GPS that all of a sudden just takes you off the map. This thing you place your trust in leads you astray. So this says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. So let's look at those three categories, the flesh, the eyes, and pride, or we may say ego, right? That thats something about me internally that it it puffs me up. Well, this has a root in Genesis chapter 3 It'll be on the screen or in your notes. You'll recognize this, I think. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, verse 6, pay attention to this. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. There's the lust of the flesh. Delightful to look at. There's the lust of the eyes. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. There's the pride of life. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. How satisfying was that fruit? This has the encapsulation of all the different things that you and I want and that we use as like our GPS to observe the world. Do do my eyes want it? Does my flesh want it? Does my internal ego, does it want it? If I'm thinking about my kids succeeding, is that an internal ego thing? That, man, my family has to have this. If I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm going to spend all sorts of time at work and away from my family, it's because I want a certain status, or I, I want to provide, and, and, and so I'm going to spend time and, and sacrifice my family. I'm going to spend so much time doing this stuff. Or if I am just greedy, I'm going to try to crush other people and, and, and go after what's mine, and then at the end of it, find myself alone. Or if it's, if it's lust something that condemns so many marriages and so many so many marriages before they even begin. Pornography. That I, I go after this and the lust of the eyes. They want this and I think that, that this will be what satisfied and then instead of that I get broken relationships and uh, an inability to interact with a, a human on a, a good level of trust because you always have this guilt that's inside of you or maybe just... It's sexual experimentation as a lot of uh, college students do. And, and they think that we'll just go explore these things and that's what'll be that, that makes me happy. And instead of happiness, they find brokenness and they find that relationship all along was far more than sexuality. Like a thing and thing again and again, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Maybe maybe I, I go after something and I, I, um, or I, I just gonna drown my sorrows in and food, and I'm going to eat, and this is my comfort, and and this will be what makes me happy, and and I destroy my body. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Did the fruit satisfy Adam and Eve? It didn't. In fact, by taking that fruit, by taking that fruit, they've brought condemnation, they've brought death onto the whole world for all time, but it looked good. It was desirable for food. It didn't even make you wise. I'm telling you, I look at burritos and I say, that's good for food. It looks good to the eyes. If you told me that there was a burrito that could bring wisdom, I, sign me up. I'm going to do that, right? This had all the makings of, of just being amazing. God created this thing. It's in this garden. But God said, don't do it. It is almost like my eyes, my flesh, and my ego are not good navigators for happiness. But here's what we think. We think they are. We pursue so many things and the lives of people are crumbling. We we give lordship to our eyes, to our flesh, to our ego, and we almost feel like we have to do these things. I have to go out there and and whatever my eyes want, whatever my flesh wants, whatever my ego wants, I have to pursue those things. I have to go after those things. The warning is, is that in verse 16... They're not from the Father, but they're from the world. And so they're going to get the same results that Adam and Eve got when we do things that are in disobedience to God. When we put something, even something good, above God. This is why Scripture calls us to discern. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, one of my favorite small passages in the Bible, says this, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Now, that's just such an interesting phrase to me. That love grows, but not alone. In knowledge and discernment. Now, what people love to quote is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. But they leave off the rest of that part that says, whatever standard you use will be used against you. Well, I'm perfectly comfortable using the biblical standard. What I'm not going to do is just speak condemnation into a, a human's essence. Act like you're worthless. You're terrible. But what I am going to do is discern right and wrong. And this says in Philippians 1, He prays that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Well, why? So that you may approve the things that are superior. That there are things that are superior in this world. God's things are superior. You may have some good things in your life. There may be some things that you want for your children, your grandchildren, your friends. That are perfectly fine, but if you pursue those above God, you've put an idol in your life, and it is not good. You are not approving the things that are superior, so that you may prove things that are superior. Now look at the next part. and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Now that word pure, your translation may say the word sincere. In the Greek, that it means judged by sunlight. And what's interesting is the Latin word, which is very closely transliterated to sincere, It means without wax, which that's a really interesting translation to say without wax. Well, here's what that means. Back in the day when they would have a merchant, uh, someone who's buying, selling goods, things like that, if there was a dishonest one, what what sometimes would happen, pretend this is clay. Let's say you drop it and break it, but it's in big pieces, so maybe you can salvage it. So what you'd do is you'd take some wax, and you'd cover over it. You'd put it back together like a puzzle, cover over it, paint over it, and then no one would know. Unless you're judged by sunlight, and if I hold that up in the sunlight, and I can see that there's cracks and there's blemishes, so when this says in Philippians one verse ten, so you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure. It means judged by sunlight or without wax and blameless in the day of Christ. To hear what God wants for you, He wants you to love, absolutely love, but love with judgment, discernment, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, judge by His standards. So you'll be blameless in the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the first reason why loving the world is bad for you, besides that it's idolatrous, is that flesh, eyes, and pride will betray you. They'll betray you. We think that these things that we pursue after for ourselves, kids, grandkids, we think that's happiness. And we're walking into the same trap that the serpent led Adam and Eve to by seeing something with our eyes, our flesh, or our ego, and saying, these are going to be the indicators that I judge whether something will make me happy or whether it won't. And we do this all the time. probably daily, we make these choices with eyes, flesh, or ego, and we pursue these things that aren't godly. So I want to give you two principles to keep you from being fooled. The first one is don't let flesh, eyes, or ego determine what you pursue, value, or prioritize. Don't let flesh, eyes, or ego determine what you pursue, value, or prioritize. And the second one is Let God's word and spirit determine these things. Don't use the flesh, the eyes, and the ego. Use God's spirit and his word to tell you what's important and what, if you pursue it, will provide true joy, true satisfaction. So then what else? Why else is loving the world bad for you? Look at verse 17. It says, And the world, with its lust, is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Now, there's lots of different passages I could have chosen to— Scripture makes this point that I'm going to make in a second so many times. But just thinking about the temporariness and, and whether or not sometimes we have a good perspective. I have uh, one of my children, since we've been here in our neighborhood, there's kids that—I I haven't seen them on it, but apparently my kids have. There's something like a little go-kart, something like that. And uh, one of my kids came up to me, and he's like, hey, would you get me one of those? And I can be a little sarcastic sometimes. I'm like, well, I could. Or I could save to help you buy a car one day. And my kid, he goes, he thought about it for a second. He's like, no, I think I'd rather the go-kart. <laughs> and so I responded, well, at least you have a good long-term plan. <laughs> sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want the immediate. And we don't think of the value of eternity. I had a friend that, when I was in the Air Force, uh, he and I, we were, I've said this before from here, that you just, uh, my job was in a secure room, inside a secure room, inside a secure building, inside the middle of a military installation. So I was really the safest person in the military, except for fear of common cold because it was so cold back there. But there was all sorts of time for conversations, and so we just have all sorts of discussion. I would, of course, share the gospel with people. And I had this guy who uh, we're good friends, talking it through, talking about the gospel. And there was this time where we were just left alone for, it may have been a couple hours working. And so I shared the gospel with him just full on. And I could tell it hit him right in his heart. He, he understood it. He was convicted of it. This young man, a 20-something year old, his eyes are welling up with conviction of sin in the gospel. But he wouldn't surrender to Christ. And I said, man, what's holding you back? Like, I could tell you, get it, you're crying. Why won't you take this next step? And he confessed to me, Obie, I'm addicted to pornography, and I know that if I become a Christian, God will want me to get that out of my life, and I don't want to. He made, I, I pray for him still, but he's making a bad wager when he does that. He's getting a bad deal. And it's easy for us to see when it's that extreme. W- when you have the obvious temporary versus the eternal. But what I'm suggesting to even Christians is sometimes we make that bad substitute. Sometimes we, we make other things that are they're just not a priority in the scheme of things. But we make them priority. We give them efficacy in our heart. We say, I'm going to follow after all these things instead of God's things. And we can see it when it's a stark contrast of a young man, addicted to pornography, who won't give up that idol. But we struggle to give up our idols. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 says this, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever." And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. The world is temporary. Don't exchange the temporary for the eternal. Don't exchange the temporary for the eternal. To the Christian in this room, you either. You don't do that either. You may have given your life to Christ, made Him Lord of your life, but sometimes in practice either ourselves, our kids, our grandkids, we make something else the God of our life. And what I'm saying is, your eyes, your flesh, your ego, they will fool you, they'll betray you. Because if we use those things to choose what we give our time, our heart, our allegiance to, then we're giving it over to temporary, inferior things that aren't God. To the person in this room who is not a Christian, I want to read Romans one twenty-five to you. This is how scripture describes you. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Should you follow your heart? No. You should surrender your heart to Jesus. You should give your life wholly and completely to Him. And, and by doing so, you're not making a substitution where, you, where you're not getting the benefit. By doing so, you're inheriting eternity. It, it, it may fool your eyes and your flesh and your ego. It may not feel like those things are true. But I'm telling you, God's Word and His Spirit says it is true. Don't walk into the same trap that Adam and Eve walked in where they just use these inferior things, the flesh, the eyes, and the ego as the thing where they evaluate value and worth. Because when they took of the fruit, they opened up a world of sin and death and condemnation for all humanity. And the exchange is the same nowadays. If you substitute anything and put something in God's place where He should be, The substitute you're making is the same. Sin and death and condemnation. But you don't have to. Because Jesus Christ, even though we're sinners before him, for some reason he loves us. He loves us anyway. He cares about you anyway. Even if at this present time you've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the one who created it. Even if you've done that, he loves you. And in loving you, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. And he didn't just die, he rose again so that you could have hope. And what scripture tells you to do is confess that you are a sinner before him and believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And if you put your trust in that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. I invite you this morning to give your life over to him. If you're lost and sitting in this seat, don't leave lost. If you're separated from God sitting in these seats, don't leave separated. Have a relationship with God this morning. If you're a Christian, you're called a follower of Christ. Follow Christ. Let him have lordship in your heart. Let's pray. Father God, I not every, not every passage is a happy, easy passage. Sometimes to read the whole counsel of God, I have to talk about sin. But even with the news of sin, there's the promise of a Savior. And God, sometimes we as Christians forget how great you are, even though we sing about it, even though we know that you're to be Lord of our life. Adults get distracted. They pin their Identity onto a false idol, a false hope. Parents, they get distracted on behalf of their kids, and they act if, if my, act like if my kid would just play this instrument better or get these grades, or play this sport better, then, then that'll be OK, and life will be great, and it'll be what it, it's meant to be. And God, even we as Christians, use our eyes, our flesh. Our ego as the surveyor of, of worth, and their faulty surveyors. I pray for every Christian right now to do a realignment to right now say, God, help me see by your word and your spirit. Help me evaluate the world by your word and your spirit. By Christ in me, God, let me discern, let my love grow, but in knowledge and discernment, so that I may approve things that are superior, so that I could be pure and blameless when I stand before you. Let me do the same if I have kids for my kids, for my grandkids. Let my love grow in knowledge and discernment. Let me teach them to have their love grow in knowledge and discernment by your word and by your spirit within us. God, there is someone sitting here today who doesn't know you. There is someone sitting here right now in their seat hoping that your spotlight doesn't shine on them. I'll never embarrass them. But God, you see them right now. Right now, you're looking upon them and they're sitting there in their sin separated from you. There is a disconnect between you and them. God, I pray that right now that person will surrender to you that they will instead of hiding from you as if you couldn't see them you're the creator of all and right now they've put whatever else above you popularity friends wealth sexuality whatever it is God they put it before you they put it in front of you so I pray they quit hiding in this moment and in this moment they say to you this God, I admit that I am a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for my sins. I ask you to save me, and I give you authority over my life. And God, I believe that in the powerful name of Jesus, if they do that, they'll be saved. Not not just by saying the words but by a heart surrendered to you. I pray that someone does this this morning. God, we're going to have a time of prayer where anyone can come up pray about anything. They could pray in their seats. They, they could come up, they could talk to a pastor or we'll have pastors here on the side that they could have a conversation with if they need prayer or if they need to ask questions about faith or if they need to confess sin or if they just need encouragement. Whatever it is, God, this time is yours. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand please?